I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Monica Banky. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by VP Principal Analyst Nancy Maluso and VP Senior Research Director Jennifer Ross to discuss why demonstrating purpose beyond profit has become vital for B2B companies. Welcome both. Hello. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Hi. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, too. So as we all know, words matter. And when we use words like purpose, some folks may have different definitions of what what that means, what that means to them personally. It's a relatively broad concept. So maybe we can define uh, specifically what we're talking about. I'll start, Jen, because I'm I'm so glad that we're starting with this question because you're so right. There's so many views And particularly when it comes to B2B, where the first thing that comes to mind for people is, well, our purpose is profit. Well, purpose does include profit, but it also reflects a company's purpose or reason for existing beyond profit. And that higher purpose can mean different things. And that's why you hear so many different things when you talk to people about purpose. For example, it can reflect a company's competency. So we exist to deliver our product or our service. It can reflect the company's intention, so be representative of their culture. It can also be something that's aspirational, like we aspire to a cause or a contribution to society, and all of those things are valid. What happens when there's tension between those things, making profit and being purposeful in in those other ways? One of the the interesting trade-offs that people have to make is, you know, do I invest, uh, buy a more expensive supply f- or part for this product that's going to have better uh, environmental, let's say recyclability, but it's going to be more expensive and I'm not going to get as much profit. And so companies really have to weigh the value that's delivered to stakeholders through the environmental gain versus the value that's delivered through the profitability gain. And it's not easy because we can't always measure what is the value of recyclability. Now, we're getting better at it as we do more of this, but um, companies do have to sort of consistently think about and make those trade-offs. Do you think that tension is more in people's heads than in, in the reality? Do, do people perceive that you can't have it all when really maybe you can or have more of it than, than they think? I think sometimes people think you can't have it all and they don't try to have it all. Um, But the fact of the matter is, let's just take um, what's going on in the Ukraine right now. So companies, you know, have pulled out of Russia and um, Germany and countries in in Europe don't want to rely on Russian gas, but they can't just stop purchasing gas. They can't just not have energy. So at the same time that they have to make a trade-off for the short-term good, they also have to start making investments that align with their their broader purpose and look at alternative energy sources. Now, that may not happen overnight. So there is definitely tension, and um, but that doesn't mean we can't strive and work toward having it all. You, We do see a lot of evidence where purpose-based decisions can be very ve- beneficial to the bottom line. And that, you know, it's interesting, Monica, you use the word tension. And yeah, I agree, Nancy, there's tension in those things, but in the course of our conversations, I wouldn't say we picked up on any tension. I think what we picked up on is there's 
good things happening in pockets across the organization. And so there may be organizations that have initiatives around environmental and social issues. There, and you know that that is not directly connected. Yes, we've got a purpose, and it means this, and we're doing these things. But in many of the organizations, it was more less less tension and more about. But those things together, together can be more powerful. And that's where you're really unleashing the power of your purpose. So they were happening, but there was a lack of awareness or thought behind how much you could gain out of having a connection between those things. Well, it sounds like, Jen, that it's not being managed as an asset of the firm cohesively, right? Based on what you just described. And it's not always being used as a framework for um, broad, the broadest set of decisions, mm. you know, across all sets of decisions. Nancy, it's also interesting, and Jen, you kind of got on it a little bit too, when you use the word short-term versus long-term. And, you know, when you're thinking about managing an asset, are you managing a short-term asset? Or are you managing kind of a long-term you know, is is this your PL or is this is this your balance sheet? Is it something that you you're gonna have as capital? You know, when we talked about the different things that your purpose can reflect, there's one underlying element that has to be there for there to be successful alignment, successful impact, and that's for it to be authentic. So that's an area where again, I wouldn't necessarily call it tension, but it may be an organization who originally created, you know, their, their purpose is their brand purpose and it's a tagline. And now that doesn't cut it anymore. We have, you know, purpose has to be more than just a tagline and more than just something that your brand leader cares about. Jen's really right. It needs to incorporate the core competencies of the company. I had one leader tell me, I need to bring all the resources that we as a company have to bear for the good of our stakeholders, not just a particular product or a particular thing. Uh, But too often people think of, as Jen said, purpose as a tagline, oh, what do we want to stand for versus what what can we stand for? What what good can we do for a broader set of stakeholders um, where we bring everything we've got to bear? You know, the sense of purpose and values-based consumers has been, you know, sort of in the making for quite a, a while in the B2C space. Obviously, we are specifically talking about B2B in this conversation. So I just want to understand what are the dynamics at, at play? I mean, Nancy, you had mentioned, you know, the the Ukraine-Russia conflict as an example of like actually B2B firms taking a stand here. But what is in play? What are the market dynamics in play that are potentially either forcing the hand of some firms and, and leaders here or um, just sort of a natural evolution of of this coming coming to the fore? There's been so many things that have um, increasingly taken place. You know, think, think of the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate and um, all related to diversity and inclusion and our, our need to ha- you know meet the needs of all types of peoples. At the same time, you know the generation that the Gen Zers and the millennials are far more diverse than the Gen X was. And so we have to meet the need of our entire population. Um, you combine that with climate change and it, and it has sort of a ripple effect. So let me use climate change as an example. If an insurance company isn't getting an increase in the number of claims as a result of climate, 
they're going to be very interested in, you know, doing something about climate change. So they're, if they start to say to their suppliers, hey, I want to know what you're doing to reduce carbon emissions, then that supplier is going to have to start thinking about because their buyer cares about it. If investors say, oh, we care about climate change because it's going to impact the return that the insurance company has, then the investors are start, going to start asking about it. So all of these events and things that are happening have caused people to really scrutinize not just what we do as a business, but why we do it and then how we do it. And that's what's really making the shift, those kind of pressures that all come to bear, you know, from our employees, from our buyers and from our investors. I wonder um, your reflection on it's interesting. It just kind of clicked for me of the kind of the supply chain. So in the consumer world, as a consumer, I make decisions on things that I want to buy, and I might make decisions that are based on the, the company themselves. But I'm not always making it. For a long time, there wasn't transparency to the entire supply chain. As soon as you get to the supply chain, it's the B two B part of it. So it was easier to hide um, than maybe it is today. Um, and, you know, I'm just wondering your reflection on market transparency and how, how aggressively people are looking for that information. So is it, is it just that the information is more available or are people demanding the information? Like what's happening on that, on that front? You, you said the word, Monica, transparency. And we live in a world now where there's been leaks and hacks and thing, you know, information that we all have access to that give us insight into the inner workings of a company and the motivations of their leaders. So it's made everybody um, more aware um, and more inclined to say, hey, wait a minute, um, you know, and Nancy used the word, they're scrutinizing um, how companies are behaving and how, and how they act now, because we've been exposed to those things. Well, there's also been a progression in terms of our ability to measure the impact we have. And so companies now, um, there are companies who measure sort of what is your carbon footprint. And there's software now that can start to calculate, you know, sort of what is the impact of your travel and, and all that sort of thing on your carbon footprint. So we're starting to institutionalize into our software, into our underlying dashboards and our metrics, and investors are asking for it. They're saying, I'm gonna, I wanna assess your profitability and I wanna assess your progress against a variety of ESG initiatives because I know they're really critical for the future competitiveness of your firm. So that's, you know, that scrutiny is, is becoming very public. Is that really widespread that the investor, um, you know, uh... I don't know what to call it. Inspection. I would. I'm seeing. We're seeing an increasing number of companies who know who are including their progress against their ESG initiatives and against the uh, sustainability initiatives by the United Nations. Um, and they're reporting it in their annual reports, and they're talking about it. They're going. To, we talked to one ESG executive who said she now goes to the the uh, investor calls, the quarterly calls, earnings calls, because she's going to be asked about it. And for investors, I mean, ultimately it's a safer bet for them. I mean, if they're, if, if you know, when it, when the organization's purpose includes those things where they're focused on corporate social responsibility, things like diversity and inclusion, and, you know, they really, and that shows in the reporting that Nancy's talking about, those companies have higher engaged employees 
um, you know, they, they, so there's just it's just a safer bet for investors. So there, I think it. I think at this point in time, they're wise to make that part of their decision making process on who they're going to invest in. There's another tension we haven't talked about. In addition to what Jen just said, is that um, you know lawmakers play a role here. In some countries, lawmakers in 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 the UK, for example, in 2006, they um, enacted the Corporate Act, and it puts in in you know regulatory um, oversight that corporations have to act in 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 terms of a broader set of stakeholders, and they define what those are. Now, in the United States, we haven't done that necessarily at the federal level, but the Business Roundtable, um, which is a you know, basically a lobbying firm made up of CEOs of top companies. Um, they put forward, you know, their sort of statement about purpose because they want to head off any sort of regulation. They want to get ahead of it so that they're not, regu- you know, bound by regulation, but they act, you know, in advance of that. So there's there's that tension as well that comes up. Hey, you mentioned something, Jen, I'm, I'm curious about, about employees. Did you find a relationship in B2B companies between um, the war on talent or talent retention and purpose? Is that, you know, it's kind of an intuitive thing, but is it a proven thing? There's indications that one out of three Gen Zers will turn down a job if they don't connect with the company's social purpose, if they don't see um, a purpose beyond profit. Further, 70% of employees define their own personal purpose through their work. Now, I don't know what the breakdown is of that generationally, but that's a high number. And so if companies want to get the best people, they've got to fulfill that part of the need. And we know one of the key ways to get employees engaged, and I think Jen said this earlier, is really by having them feel like they're fulfilling a greater purpose. And also that that greater purpose or what's stated is authentic, right? That there has to be, there's like a deeply emotional connection, especially when, you know, with that stat you just shared, Nancy. So I, I think if maybe we can just dig in a little bit on this notion of being authentic and, you know, it's more than a tagline, what is that what does that really mean, especially in the B2B space? Because I feel like it's it's more understandable from a consumer lens, but you know, is it similar or that much different than how we interpret that authenticity in a B2B context? I don't think necessarily it's that different how we interpret it um, in a B2B context. I think what's different is B2B is just a little bit further behind because of what we said earlier. You know, we go, if we go all the way back to, there's a famous theory that a lot of people have heard this name, Milton Friedman, and and we'll talk a little bit more about him in the first week of May at Summit. But he was an American economist um, who won the Nobel Prize for economics in the 70s. Um, But he was most known for making the statement that public companies should first and foremost focus on profit and shareholder value above all other goals. And that view is as controversial or causes as much debate today as it did back then. 
So back then, B2B companies thought it's probably better for us to stay out of the line of sight. And Monica, you said like behind the scenes, like it's not that visible. Maybe we don't want to get involved in, in appearing as though we're part of this political issue going on. Um, but in this day and age, that's just not acceptable anymore. Um, so, but there's still a lot of debate about around, yeah, but we still are really primarily here to create profit. And I think that's where the, some of the tension we've been talking about comes in too. Um, and the, and the idea of authenticity. So it's not enough. So one thing we mean when we say be authentic is it's not enough to just put your name out there in connection with a cause, but not really be connecting what your company's competencies are, like how you actually are contributing to that cause or contributing to a societal need. And you'll hear people use the phrase cause washing and, and that's people are onto that. So when we say authentic, it, that's what we mean is, okay, we see a lot of that happening, but is that really authentic purpose? Probably not. It needs to go, it needs to go beyond that. It needs to be embedded in the DNA of the organization. It needs to be enterprise wide. What we heard from all of the leaders that we spoke to is when it comes to purpose, everyone's accountable. There wasn't necessarily one owner of purpose in the organization. It was sponsored by the CEO. It was a cause of the CEO. The CEO was involving everybody on the leadership team. And where things got interesting for us is the challenge with everyone supporting it, but what are the ways in which we can cascade that meaning of purpose, what our purpose is throughout the entire organization, um, and have it be supported by their actions on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's look at an example. I'll just make one up. Let's say that we're a software company and we decide that that our purpose is going to make the is going to be to make the world better for all people. And we could debate what better means, but let's say it's in line with what we do, whatever it is that our software does. For all people has a big ripple effect if we're going to actually make that part of our business. So let's think about that. For all people, that means our software has to be usable by people of all abilities. So our design of that software and the way we package and sell and make it available to people is impacted by that decision to try to make the world better for all people. It means that our hiring practices and the way that we reward and develop people has to evolve so that we're developing people of all types and, and abilities, right? So it has a big ripple effect across your or your operation and and everything that you do if you truly are going to live it if you say that you want to make the world better for all people but you have um you know a bias in one way or another within you know within your approach to people then you're not going to be authentic you know it's interesting when you say that everybody said it's everybody's job but my, my one of the big problems with something being everybody's job is it's also nobody's job. Do you think that there'll ever be a chief purpose officer, like somebody that that which is not the brand officer because that's a different thing, but somebody that really manages if the company is authentically living up to their purpose, or should there be? That's a great question. 
Um, the first thing, the first thing I would say is what you just said about brand purpose being a different thing is interesting because this is another one of those things that created a lot of discussion in the interviews that we did. Not everybody views brand purpose as something different. And I would say, you know, after spending the time that we've spent on it, doing our research, talking to clients, um, I don't think it is something different. I think that's where you run into that problem with alignment and the tension that we that that can occur is your brand it has to reflect your organization's purpose your organization's culture your organization's values so i don't think it's different we are seeing some shift in in how people are enacting though um initially sort of social responsibility initiatives, corporate social responsibility initiatives, or sort of do-gooder philanthropy initiatives were separate and distinct. And in fact, some companies formed, you know, uh, private, you know, investment funds and stuff to take their profit and then invest in, you know, and and, and basically do good works with that money. Um, but we're seeing with the advent of the ESG officers and people who are accountable for, you know, meeting environmental sustainability, social, um, and governance goals, that they're aligning their work with the core underlying brand purpose because that makes it more authentic. It links it all together. It helps them create the glue. Now, they're not telling us that they're the purpose officer, right? But they're trying to, they know that they have to have it all connect together. So whether they'll evolve to that or not, it remains to be seen. I haven't seen anybody say that their job is purpose. I've seen them say their job is ESG. It's really fascinating. And I, you know, to to also think about the the career pathing of someone who is leading ESG and what is their background. And, you know, sometimes obviously there's sustainability and other things that are coming together there. But I think that the, to Jen's point, like, these can't be two separate things. If they're disconnected, it's not going to fly. And it's great to hear that, you know, the folks that you've spoken with are connecting the dots, even if that brand person is not the chief purpose officer, if they're not deeply connected, it's not going to work. Yeah. I, I didn't think of them as separate. I thought as purpose as brand and the brand statement and the brand promise and the brand purpose as being a component of the overall purpose. Um, so disconnected was probably an unfair way of saying it, but it's kind of, Jen, the way that you described it, it was, it was elevate, it was the other, it was flipping it the other way around saying the brand should encompass everything, not just traditional brand elements that we think about, like, you know, the tagline and the colors and the logo and those sorts of things, which is a, probably a more informed and enlightened way of, of thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the interesting thing is I think that, I think we're talking about the difference between, you know, Monica, as you know, we spend a lot of time working with our clients and Nancy does this on the sales side. I do it on the marketing side, working with our clients on formulation of strategy. Um, so we're almost talking about, yeah, at the business level, there's a strategy for, our per you know, there's a purpose strategy that is not necessarily owned by one person, but is, you know, has to start at the CEO level. I mean, I think if that's one thing we heard loud and clear, it's, 
hey, this is sponsored by our, our CEO cares about this. It's an important initiative to the CEO. Um, but when it comes to how it gets implemented, how it gets embedded in the organization, that's where I think the pivot is to a role uh, uh, who does that. And that's where I think that's where we've got this split between in most organizations, it has been treated differently. There's the side that is the things you can do or the how that fall into that bucket of like the ESG. And then there's the more traditional brand thing. So I think that's going to be interesting how, because we're saying a forward looking view is those things have to come together. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that manifests itself from an organizational perspective. I think it's a fascinating thought that ESG and anything that has to do specifically with the execution against purpose would live in inside of a brand organization underneath a brand leader because they are looking at the world with with that lens all of the time. Was there any hints of that? Do you think it should happen? Do you do you think it should happen? No. We don't want the rest of the organization to think this is a brand or a marketing exercise. It needs to be somebody who understands operational implementation because it's got to be wide enough um, and, and broad enough. Now, the brand perp- the brand leader absolutely needs to be h- part of how how it's articulated, how it's manifested, how it it lives. But it's in. I think that's a strong influence point, not an ownership point. It's interesting because it's it, it almost sounds like early customer experience conversations where it was customer experience isn't one function in the organization. It imp- impacts every and you know over time it's well do we need someone to own customer experience and where does that sit and who's that person liaise with so um, you know not the same but it, it just it, it reminds me of similar conversations about that back then, it is interesting because it's 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 not so clear cut. New initiatives tend to do that, right? It's like everybody owns it, then it gets diluted in focus. So you need somebody to champion it and then they champion it through. And I can see this happening personally with customer experience where that somebody champions it through and then it, it there's a dysphoria back through the organization. And that kind of curve, it's like organizations that centralize and decentralize and there's a heartbeat to it, but there's actually rationale to that. And I could see that with this. I think it'd be fascinating. Absolutely. So where people are in their journey may result in different people owning it at different times because of, you know, it's like you said, it's an evolution of how we sort of get it all done at the end of the day. All right. So this has been a fascinating conversation and time has flown by. I know both of you are going to be on stage at Summit in May. Maybe you could just give a little bit more of like, what should attendees expect from your presentation on this topic at Summit? Well, we're going to bring uh, forward our research that indicates, you know, what is the value of having a purpose and who cares about it and, and what is the impact of that. And then we're going to spend um, some time talking about, well, how do you articulate and activate it and how do you make it authentic and real? And we'll give an example of one company who's doing that um, very well so that people can see how every role in the company plays a part in really bringing the power of purpose to play. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much. 
If you like what you heard today, join us at Forrester's B2B Summit North America on May 2nd through 4th. Nancy and Jennifer will dive deeper into the importance of purpose and how B2B companies can bring it to life authentically. Learn more at for.com slash summit 22. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash summit 22. Thanks for listening.